Hey, happy Father's Day uh, to all you dads. Uh, I know a very special day for me, and I pray a very uh, special day for many of you. But I'm always mindful as a pastor that Father's Day also could be a pretty horrific day for many. Uh, Maybe it's a reminder of what you're not. Or maybe just the memories of dad aren't what you thought they would be or what you hoped them would be. But today we're going to look to our Heavenly Father. And really our hope isn't in our earthly fathers. Um, We don't celebrate them. Ultimately we celebrate a Heavenly Father who loves you so much that he would send his very best, his very own son to come and to rescue you and to live with you and to, to make sure that you are his. And so this Father's Day, it's going to be about our Heavenly Father, okay? And I think each Sunday we'll uh, make sure we focus uh, by God's grace on our Heavenly Father because that is our true hope and his love for us. If you have a Bible, if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 46 as we continue along on the story of Joseph. And this morning we're going to have a father-son reunion, an incredible father-son reunion. And do you know what planning it took for me to be able to have the sermon series here on, what are you laughing about? You know me, don't you? It's just God's goodness that he's like, okay, Jeff, I'm going to give you another softball. Here you go. It's Father's Day. And guess where we find ourselves in the story? It's a find ourselves in the story of a father-son reunion. And what an incredible father-son reunion uh, we're going to see. I mean, it's, uh, it's been over 22 years since father and son have seen each other. As a matter of fact, for the majority of those years, for almost all of the time, the father believed his son was dead and he mourned for him. Oh my goodness, did he mourn for his son because this was his special, his favorite, his beloved son. Can you imagine? Can you imagine nearly a quarter century passing since you've seen your son? Can you imagine what the expectation would be like, especially had you thought that he was dead and now knowing that he is alive? I mean, so that's a little bit of a picture of, of the reunion we're about ready to see. But let's start off with a little disclaimer. It is Father's Day and the focus is more on Jacob. And actually the story focuses now more on Jacob than it does on Joseph. But Jacob was a seriously flawed father. For all you seriously flawed fathers out there, just have hope. Because this is one and one of the the big three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he was a mess. And he created a mess, even in his own family. It was Jacob who would play favorites. He would play favorites over some of his children. And and by playing favorites, he created an atmosphere of, uh, of just hatred among his other siblings. That the one he thought was favorite while his other brothers hated to the point of they wanted to kill him. And they were even willing to sell him into slavery, thinking he was dead. That was the atmosphere that Jacob created. And it was terrible. What Jacob would do is that Jacob would take good things like loving your children and trying to provide for them and make them ultimate things. That his whole life revolved around them. He, he, Jacob would say that he would basically have his life would be a living hell or he would be descended into Sheol if his kids passed away. And so for all of you who make your kids an idol, 
And for all of you who take an important thing like parenting and sometimes make it an ultimate thing, you could see Jacob because he's a lot like us. But Jacob was not only had issues in fathering and parenting, Jacob had a lifetime of issues. Jacob was born a twin. He was one of two. His brother Esau uh, was born first, but Jacob didn't like it. And so Jacob apparently came out of the womb grasping his brother's ankle. And that's how he got his name, Jacob, meaning grasping ankle. I'm not kidding you. That's really how he got his name. And Jacob was a schemer. He would not only grab his brother's ankle, he would, he would scheme and he would grab his brother's birthright over a bowl of stew. You can look it up in scripture. It's incredible. He would even grab through scheming and oh, what a scheme he had, his brother's blessing. He would scheme and he would grab his father-in-law's flock to be his own. This is the story of Jacob. This is an incredibly uh, flawed man. As a matter of fact, he would even try to grab God's blessing by wrestling, literally wrestling with God throughout the night. Jacob was a glass half full kind of guy. Can you appreciate that? Is that some of you? And that's the way Jacob saw life. I mean, he was incredibly blessed, but lived most of his life like Eeyore. Oh man, oh, woe is me. As a matter of fact, in verse 47, chapter 47, he's going to meet Pharaoh. And here he's going to meet, and and by the way, hit pause. One of the coolest things, he meets the most powerful man on the face of the earth. And he blesses him. Jacob, through God's blessing, is going to bless Pharaoh, not see Pharaoh. And we see scripture unfold. It's beautiful. But when he finally meets Pharaoh, here's what he says. Well, I've lived 130 few years and my days have been filled with evil. Really, Jacob? Really? That's the way you see life? He was a a half full kind of guy. He lived with grief. I mean, the pain of losing Joseph for most of his life, he, he lived with real grief of, of that reality. He, he played favorites and he couldn't get over playing favorites. He, he schemed for his own gain. Can anybody else relate to that? But occasionally he'll stumble forward and occasionally he'll utter some beautiful holy words. And we see God in the midst of this man transforming him and making him the man of God that God wants him to be. You see about Jacob is he's in the trifecta. He's in the big three. When you read about it through the Old Testament, and even Jesus refers to it in the New Testament, our God is a covenant God. He enters into relationship with us. And and he did with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is Jacob. I mean, this is the one that God himself is going to change his name to Israel that will reflect the entire nation of God's people. This is Jacob. But when we look at Jacob this Father's Day, we have to remember that the story is not told to us so that we will be like Jacob. God never tells us a story in God's word and holds up a hero, whether it's Joseph or David or, or Samson or anybody else. The goal is not for us to be like Jacob. The goal of us is to love Jacob's God. The goal of us is to see God in the midst of the story and see ourselves there. You see, the Bible is filled with stories, but the Bible contains one hero, just one. And it's God's son, Jesus. And all these stories will point to him. And our hope is in him of a God who loves the flawed fathers like me. And he comes and who rescues us. And he rescues even Jacob out of the promised family of God. So as we read this story, may we worship Jacob's God. 
and learn from him, both positive and negatively, but ultimately to give God glory. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Genesis 46. Uh, it'll also be listed for you in the bulletin. The words will be on the screen behind me. But let's be mindful that God has given us this story. It's a living and active word of God. And it's not a story just to, to entertain us. This is a story to transform us. Here's the point. God wants to speak to you this morning. Each of you, you're here by design. And God wants to speak to you through his word. So let's be mindful that it's holy and errant, that this is God's word. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. Skip down to 26 through 34. Hear the word of the Lord. So Israel, Jacob, took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. For there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt. And I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Bathsheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, their wives, and the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they gained in the land of Canaan. Remember, the land of promise. And came into Egypt. Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Let's skip to verse 26. It'll explain in those other verses who were the ones he brought with him. In verse 26, And the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons, wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70 And he had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot, imagine this, and went up to meet Israel, his father in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Can you imagine? 22 plus years. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I've seen your face and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me and the men are shepherds for they have been keeping keepers of livestock. And they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Hmm. Let us pray. 
Father God, thank you for the way you tell your story. God, you are the ultimate storyteller and your, your son, Jesus, is that one story's ultimate hero. May we see him clearly through this story. May we see ourselves as flawed and needy, desperately needing a savior. God, would you give us ears to hear your voice, each and every one of us. God, would you give us minds to understand your word, your story. And would you give us hearts to embrace your truth and your love. And God, would you give us feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name. The name that is above every name. That the name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That Jesus is Lord and Savior. God, the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior Jesus? And it's in his holy and matchless name that we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline if you want to follow along with me as we unpack uh, this, this passage of scripture. And the first thing we're going to see is this, is a father who is a worshiper of God. The primacy of worship for Jacob, we see in verses one through four. The primacy of a father who is going to to worship the true and living God. And I love how God's word records for us how that worship took place. That Jacob went back to a place of family worship. Have you ever gone back to your, your church you grew up in? Maybe it's this one. Have you ever gone to a place where you know that your family has gathered? There's, there's something holy about it. There's something sacred about it. There's something wonderful that reminds us that we're connected to a bigger story than just ourselves. And for those of us, by God's grace, who have generations of, of faithfulness and generations of worship, it's powerful to worship with our family members. Well, Jacob went to the furthest point in the promised land, Beersheba. And before he was ever going to enter into Egypt, he was going to worship his God. But the beautiful thing is, he's got family there. It was Abraham. In Genesis 23, Abraham went to Beersheba and it was there that he worshiped God. It was there that God spoke to his grandfather. Genesis 26, it says it was there in Beersheba that, that his father Isaac went and worshiped there as well. And that he committed himself to God. And so here is a place of family worship that Jacob will go. You see, worship has the power to remind us where we've been. Listen, worship has the power to remind us of a story we find ourselves in. A story we're we're connected to. As we gather at worship, even right now, we're, we're rehearsing God's story. This is what we do when we gather. We, we read God's word. We sing hymns. We remember that our God is a God who, who created everything out of nothing. A God that when we rebelled and fell, that he would still love us and send a, a savior to come rescue us. A God who says, I will forever be with you as Emmanuel. A God who promises there's a good ending coming to the story. When the heavens and the earth are made new, there really is a good ending. You see, when we gather to worship, we remember God's story. We rehearse it. We remind one another. And oh, how we need it. We need to come in from a dark, broken world. We need to come in from despair and be reminded that, oh yeah, God hasn't forgotten us. 
Oh yeah, God is still in control. Oh yeah, Jesus' kingdom has come, but it's not fully here. And it one day will come in its fullness. We come here and we remember the story of hope. That in the midst of the tears, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of despair, God is here. We need to worship. We need to be reminded. We need to rehearse God's story. But Jacob did more. He's not just remembering the story, but Jacob offered a sacrifice. And when he offered a sacrifice, here was what he was doing. He was acknowledging that he was flawed. He was acknowledging that he was sinful. He was acknowledging that he, he needed a sacrifice, an atonement to cover his sins. And scripture will tell us that the blood of bulls and goats, they don't take away your sins. They only point to the one who can. So we come here, we remind our stories, we come and and we confess our sins and we realize that it's safe to do it. You ready for this? You can be honest with God, he knows your story. You can be honest with God, he knows your junk. And that cross of Christ, he paid the price for you. And he wants you to be able to come and he wants you to be able to confess that you're a flawed father, you're a flawed mother, you're you're a flawed student, you're you're a flawed elderly person, you're, you're flawed. And so he offered a sacrifice And he acknowledged his his need of a cleansing of blood. And he also sought God's guidance. That's what we do. Listen, why do we gather? We worship to repent. God, we're not as we're supposed to be. To believe. To believe in God's promises that he has provided for us. So we have to come in, rehearse the story, remember to repent and to believe. That's what Jacob was doing. And it's in worship that God comforts Jacob. It's in worship that God comforts us and he reminds us of what he's doing. He reminded Jacob that he's in control. What does he say? Jacob, don't fear. How many of us right now in this community need to hear God say to us, don't fear. I haven't left the building. Jacob, do not fear. I got this. I got you. I'm in control. I I know that even the the events of this last week, it pushes God's control and love. It it seems to the brink. And that's why we need one another and gather and remember the story. He says, don't fear. I got this. And here's what he also says. Don't fear. I got you. He says, I will make you. Remember, God never wants self-made men and women. God does not want you to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and try harder. God wants to give you life and life abundantly, graciously through Christ Jesus. God is the one who wants you to surrender your life to him and watch him work powerfully in you. God who is making you. I will make you a great nation. Why does he say that to Jacob? Because he promised that through Jacob, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will come a seed. And this seed will become a great nation. And all the nations will be blessed through this seed. The seed is Jesus, by the way. It's absolutely beautiful. And God's basically saying to Jacob, Jacob, I haven't forgotten the promises. I haven't forgotten what I've told your father and grandfather. I'm going to make you. I got you. He also say this, and I love it. I myself will go with you. Even when we go into dark places like Egypt, even when you're, you're seemingly led by God and in some very difficult things, you know what God says? I'm with you. 
I will go with you. I'm Emmanuel, a God who is with us, a God who is for us. Never will he leave us. Never will he forsake us. You may not feel God. You may not sense his presence. You may wonder where he is. You may think he left the building, but the truth of our God, there's nowhere we could go outside of his presence. There's nowhere we could go where he is not with his people. You may not trust that because you might think your circumstances tell you differently, but the promises of God are these. I will go with you. How awesome is that? Even when you're going into Egypt, I will go, myself will go with you. Emmanuel, God with us. And then he gives him this great promise. And by the way, I'm going to bring you back. The promised land that I have promised you, you're going to make it home. And I'm going to bring you back. And it means this way to us. God has promised us more. He's promised to be with us. He's basically saying, I'm going to bring you home. I promise you, I'm going to bring you home. How many sheep does Jesus lose in eternity? Not a one. A God who says, I will go with you. I will be with you and I'll bring you back. You see, God has created us to worship and to worship him. And we certainly will worship something. There's not a person that you've ever met who's not worshiping something. They might be worshiping themselves. They might be worshiping money. They might be worshiping fame or sex, or they might be worshiping creation, or they might be worshiping their bodies. But we all, listen, we're made in God's image. We can't help but worship. We are worshipers. And God has called us to be worshipers of him and him alone. You see, this needs to be modeled, dads. This needs to be primacy of our life. Dads, let me just talk to you for a minute. There needs to be a primacy of worship in your life. We shouldn't forsake the gathering together. We need one another. And it seems we live in a time where worship is just one of those things we tend to choose or not choose, depending on the convenience of our schedule. And I know that it's the third week in June and you're here. And so I'm preaching to the choir. But I got to tell you, my heart breaks for how, how flippantly easy we just dismiss gathering to worship. That we just dismiss rehearsing the story or reminding each other what Christ has done. Don't forsake this, scripture says in the book of Hebrews. Don't forsake this. We need one another. We need to be reminded. But don't forsake private worship either. That quiet time. That time to get away. and Just be reminded that the world that seems so broken that God's still a part of. How is it with you? Do you spend any time during your day just stepping aside and worshiping your God? You can do it anywhere. You don't have to come here anywhere, any place. God is everywhere. Let me just ask, encourage you to get to a quiet place. There are 31 Proverbs and there's 31 days in the, in the month, uh, typically, or at least one number of those. Grab a day and read that proverb. Read through the New Testament. Spend some time. Make a list of people to pray for. I'm so grateful that it wasn't early in my life that my dad modeled this. It was my mom modeled this. My mom had a love with Jesus. She, she couldn't let go. I mean, she really walked with him. She really believed in him. She really trusted him. It was like, it was incredible. It wasn't religion, it was relationship. And the number of days I would wake up and I'd see her on her knees or I'd see her in her word and and it was modeled for me. And by God's grace, I mean, it's funny because I remember as a kid, she she got out of sorts. She said, I didn't have my quiet time today. I'm like, mom, it's a little legalistic, don't you think? But there was a sense where life didn't find equilibrium until she had time with Jesus. And by God's grace, she passed it on. And there's a joy of just that personal worship. There's a joy, a, a hunger, a longing. And again, not perfect, but I'm grateful. Dads, where is your personal worship? 
And are you leading your family in corporate and family worship too? A father who's a a worshiper of God. Secondly, a father who's a follower of God in verses five through 27. Jacob put everything in God's hands. When God called him to go, there was nothing he held back. There's not one tent he left behind. There's not one kid he left behind. Scripture wants us to say everything he owned, his livestock, his family, the the goods he gained in Canaan, everything he owned, he put into God's hand and followed after God. It's basically, I get this picture of Jacob is like at the roulette table saying, I'm going to push everything onto Jesus. I'm going to trust. I'm going to be a follower of God. I'm going to hang on to nothing. I love the reality. Listen, Jacob followed the God of promise. Jacob followed the God of promise above the promises of God. Jacob followed the God of promise above the promises of God. Because he was in the promised land. He had so much. I mean, he's, he could say, forget it, God. You, you've told me this is the land. You told me I'm going to stay right here. And Jacob got to the point and says, I'm going to risk it all for Jesus. I'll risk it all to follow after my God. He said, here I am. I'll follow. Jesus will say it this way. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Seek first your life's focus. Your life's intention, your life's pursuit should be Jesus and his kingdom, his fame, and really his renown. That all the other things are pale to compared to it. You should have nothing else that will rival the pursuit of Jesus Christ and his kingdom in your life. Jesus would go on to say in the kingdom parables in Matthew 13, that the kingdom of God, it's like, it's like a pearl of great price. That you should sell everything you have to make sure you get this. He's basically saying there should be no other rivals. Following after Jesus should be the primacy of all of our lives, of all of our pursuits. Follow hard after him. I think what he's saying is this, is hold life loosely and cling tightly to your God who clings tightly to you. A father who is a worshiper, first and foremost. A father who is a follower, And thirdly, a father who's a warrior for God. A father who's a warrior for God and his family, who's going to battle against anything that tries to destroy his family from within or from without. And I got to hit pause and tell you, to be honest with you, Jacob didn't do a really good job here. I'm going to talk about the internal and external threats to his, his family. And for the most part, he messed it up big time. And it wasn't but by the grace of God that he has what he has. But Jacob had the same thing you and I have, internal and external threats to his family. Honestly, we all do. We all will. The internal threats was dysfunction and sin. Jacob was his biggest internal threat. He was a knucklehead. An external threat, things like famine and things like living in Egypt. Let's talk a little bit about the internal threat of dysfunction and sin. The biggest threat to Jacob's family was Jacob's dysfunction. That favoritism, that breeding a toxic environment into his family, his dysfunction of making idols out of favorite sons, favorite sons that he felt like he couldn't live without, that dysfunction. What's your toxic internal threat. What's the threat to your family? Hey, dads, is it your job? 
Is it your career? Is it your name? Is it a pursuit after something else? Is it, is it your lust? What's the internal threat? What are you making an idol? What are you taking? It might even be a good thing. What are you making an ultimate thing? What is the threat to your family? You know, it's amazing. Oftentimes we tell our family to get behind our threats. Well, you don't, I'm doing this for you. I'm working real hard. I'm doing all this. All these priorities that really are my priorities, I'm doing for you and for your livelihood. May the Holy Spirit allow us to examine our lives and answer the question, what internal threats do you have and are you fostering for the well-being of your family and for God's glory? And then there was external threats. External threats that he can't control. I mean, it was famine. I feel almost stupid saying this, but is it not obvious that we live in a dangerous world? I mean, there's things that we can't control. And one thing I know about a father worth his salt, one thing I know about a mother worth her salt, they would do anything to protect their children. Is it not true, parents? Is it not true, grandparents? Would you not do anything you can do for your children? But you know how frail and weak we are? We can't protect them all the time. Did you hear about the mother that saw her five-year-old in Colorado that was uh, a, a mountain lion was on top of her kid? She went out back. She pried open the mouth of the mountain lion. Come on. That's a mom right there, right? I mean, she went, she, I guess you grabbed the thing by the ears or something. Just pried open, you know, her five-year-old baby. There's no way. You ask the question, well, what was the dad doing? I think he was warming up the car, you know? I was like, <laughs> Seriously, what, what mom or dad wouldn't do the same? But what about that family from Nebraska? You know that that dad wanted that gator. You know he did. And you know he's going to be haunted the rest of his life. He couldn't get it. As much as you love your kids, there's external threats to our families that we can't control. And as powerful as we are, we're weak. We, we, can't, we can't control the elements. We can't control nature. I mean, our, our, our kids are, are threatened. Their world is unsafe. It's unsafe online. It's unsafe in nature. It's unsafe because we live in a very evil place. But God is for us. And God is with us. And what's the greatest thing you could do as a parent? You take your kid and you make sure that they get to Jesus. Because it's only in him through life and death will they be safe. It's only in him. Only in him do we have hope. And the greatest thing that we could do for our kids is to bring them in the arms of faith and our knees and prayer and our eyes filled with tears and plead that their God, our God, will become their God. That they will find their identity in him. Only God can keep us safe. And I'm telling you, in safe in Christ does not mean you're going to always be safe physically. It does not mean that you're not going to get cancer or reoccurrence of cancer. It does not mean that gators won't take your loved ones. It doesn't mean that. 
I wish it did. It means that one day that will be true. One day. I'm reading the book of Revelation right now. I'm at the end of it. And it says there'll be a new heaven and new earth. One day there will be shalom in everything that we see and know and love. The peace of God will reign. It's not here yet. And until that day, we're only safe in the arms of the ultimate warrior, Jesus, whose nail-pierced hands have purchased us. The ultimate warrior, the ultimate reunion, the ultimate family reunion is is our heavenly father and son. Do you know that God so loved you, that God so loved the world, that he would give you his very best. He would give you his only son. And the reason he gave it to you and to me is to rescue us because we're sinners in desperate need of salvation and being rescued in safety and peace with God. And do you know that Jesus loved you enough to become like you, to put on flesh and to live among us and, and to be tempted like us? And do you know he loved us to the point of death, even death on a cross? Do you know that he was willing to bear your shame and to wear your sin? Do you know he was willing to go to a Roman cross and hang there naked? And so that his separation from the Father, we would never have to be separated from the Father. That we'd always be united with him in Christ Jesus. Do you know the Father and Son loved us so much that they would send the Holy Spirit to come and to be our comfort? To be our comfort in the times like this. A very present help in the times of danger. Emmanuel, a God with us. You see, there was a father-son reunion after the resurrection of Christ Jesus that forever united us with a holy God, forever made sure that we have a place at home. That's the ultimate father-son reunion. And because of that reality, be a worshiper of God, dad, mom, children, Because God made you a worshiper. Be a worshiper of God first and foremost over anything else. Be a follower of God. Put everything in his hands and follow hard after him. And be a warrior for God. Fighting those internal and external threats to your family, to your life, and to those around you. For the glory of God. Remember, this message is not to make you feel guilty for what you're not. Because every one of us can say, Ooh, I'm not a great follower. Ooh, man, I don't wor- I worship myself more than God. Or man, I battle for the wrong things. The message and the point of this is to look to Jesus, who perfectly worshiped, who perfectly followed, and who was a perfect warrior. And in him, we have hope. God calls us to a higher standard, to a higher level. Let us all pursue after it for the glory of God, knowing that even now, We're his and we're loved. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for the story of Jacob and Joseph. What an incredible reunion. I could just see Joseph on Jacob's neck weeping. It is the reality that a son is alive and a father has hope. It's the reality that Christ Jesus, though he was dead, is alive. It has given us hope to see the Father. It has given us hope that we're going to make it home. God, you made us in your image, so you made us worshipers. And you sent us your Son and your Spirit so we could worship rightly the God who is. God, forgive us for making idols that we bow down to. Drive them away. 
do whatever it takes so that we would be worshipers of you. God, forgive us for the things we hold on so tightly that keep us from following after you. The things that we, good things may be, that we make ultimate things that keep us from seeking first your kingdom. Oh, Holy Spirit, give us the joy. Give us the joy of seeking hard after you. Empower us, we pray. And God, may we be warriors for Christ. Warriors who will battle against the internal threats. And those are mostly ourselves and our dysfunction. And the external threats. And God, may we carry those we love to Jesus. Because only in him are we safe. And only in him can our spirit find peace. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.